Grady Hendrix has been my favorite author of 2022, as you may know, but I took a leap of faith in reading his debut novel, My Best Friend's Exorcism, because it's just not the kind of horror I typically go for. As of September 30th, though, the novel has a movie adaptation paired with it. I'm joined this week by a fellow bibliophilic podcast host to dissect both and decide whether the film truly served the novel justice. Stay tuned. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound Cinefilm podcast, the podcast for bibliophiles and cinephiles alike. I am Avery, your wonderful book-loving and movie-loving host, and I am here today with a very, very special guest. She is the host of the Talk Bookish to Me podcast. Gwen, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Avery. I'm so excited to be here. Um, like you said, my name is Gwen, and I have a podcast called Talk Bookish to Me. I also have a YouTube channel that you can find with like my full name, Gwendolyn Kensinger. Obviously, I love to read and talk about books. Um, on my podcast, I do like book discussions, of course, but I also like to just talk about like literary topics in general, like tropes and recommendations and all of that fun stuff. Yes, and we love those book discussions so much. So speaking of books, what are you currently reading right now? So I'm actually currently reading a like spooky middle grade book. I don't typically read middle grade books, but my friend is hosting and she roped me into co-hosting a spooky middle grade readathon with her. So I was like, I'm going to get a jump start on it. So I'm reading The City of Ghosts by B.E. Schwab. Um, I have read a couple of Victoria Schwab, V.E. Schwab books in the past, but it's not really my go-to genre, but it's middle grade. I'm enjoying it. I'm about halfway. So yeah, I'm reading that. And I know you want to know what I'm currently watching as well. Um, (laughs) I am obviously, I'm recording with you, so I'm not currently watching, but I really want to watch Hocus Pocus 2 this weekend. Um, Mm. just really looking forward to it. I was nervous because I'm a big Hocus Pocus, like original, like OG fan. And I was nervous that they were going to screw it up. And I was just like, please, no, please make this be good. So I kind of waited for other people to watch it first a little bit, start having those reviews roll again. And I've heard that I won't be disappointed. So I'm like, okay, now I'm excited. Mm -hmm. And later this month, The School for Good and Evil comes out. So I'm really excited to watch that too. Haven't read the book, but I'm excited about the movie. I actually am reviewing Hocus Pocus this week. So maybe I can guide you a little bit, but I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, And so I know that you said middle grade is not the genre you typically go for. So what genre can you not live without book, book wise, movie wise, or both? My favorite genre is thrillers, but I also really enjoy romance, um, specifically like rom-coms. And that's sort of what I like in my movies too. If I had to pick one, I'd probably go with thrillers, but if you ask me on another day, I might say (laughs) rom-coms. 
Mm -hmm. I completely understand. Of course, anyone who's listened to this podcast, you know, my favorite genre is horror and thriller, um, which I'm currently reading Sharp Objects by Jillian Flynn. Yes. And I'm excited to watch the HBO Max series, but I haven't started it because I want to finish it. And then I did watch Hocus Pocus this weekend. But in terms of other stuff I'm watching, I'm in that phase where I'm not watching any series. I'm just watching movies and I'm bouncing back and forth. So that's going to be a lot of content for this month, specifically since I'm into the horror. It's, It's the horror month and I'm embracing it. Have you watched The Boy and Brahms, The Boy 2? No, I I watched the first one, but I I wasn't into it. And I feel kind of left out because I know a lot of people actually like those movies. Yeah, I recently watched them for the first time. um, And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But I was like, sure, why not? Because I've heard a lot of people like it. And they were creepy Mm -hmm. to me. (laughs) (laughs) I can definitely understand why I've seen like screenshots of the movie um and so I might I might have to give it a second shot I think the last time I watched it was I was probably in high school so definitely will be on my rewatch list um speaking of horror thriller all things spooky this week we are comparing the Grady Hendrix I believe it's his first book that he ever came out with my best friend's exorcism Now, this book was released in 2016, and the movie just recently came out this past week, Friday, and Gwen actually held a watch party for it. Um, How was that? How did it turn out? I'm so glad I had the watch party. I'll just say that because I know we're going to like do a deep dive into our thoughts, but I'm just really happy that I had my friends to watch this movie with me because they brought a lot of humor and Mm -hmm fun to the experience. <laughs> yes, and I definitely think it has been added to my list of horror comedy movies because with the book it I don't really think there was a lot of comedy in the book, but I think that they depended on that a lot for this movie, which is something that I liked um when I was watching it. As far as the book goes, I've read My Best Friend's Exorcism, of course, um, The Final Girl Support Group, and The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. And My Best Friend's Exorcism is my favorite of all of those. Like, I thought the book was amazing. I loved the book so much, which kind of surprised me with how much Mm -hmm. I loved it. Um, But I think the last few pages of the book really sealed my love for the book. Um, I love the 80s. So I immediately like loved that part about it. So it had that going for it. And plus, like when I was reading the book, it just felt like one of those like cult classics, like Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill. Like you're going to love it. You're going to really love it. But if you don't get it, you'll be scratching your head saying like, what do all these people see with this? (laughs) So I found that really appealing. And I do struggle with horror sometimes because it's unbelievable. And I like more believable horror, Mm -hmm. like serial killers or you know stuff like that I'm not into the like paranormal uh things that's just not me unless I know I'm going into like a paranormal story or whatever so over the years I have found that you know Grady Hendrix can be hit or miss he's kind of all over the place but I love his humor and 
I know he's off the wall, so I always end up really enjoying it. Yeah, I definitely, well, first, I will preface, this is a spoiler-filled episode, and I'm so sorry for those of you who have not read the book, not watched the movie, but we just cannot hold ourselves back Mm -hmm. (laughs) to try to stay spoiler-free because there's so much to talk about. So, with that said, unless you are one of those people that still want it to be spoiled, love you for that. This would be your warning now. But I will say, Gwen, I am 100% with you in terms of my best friend's exorcism. I read all the same books that you have. Uh, Final Girl Support Group was hands down my favorite. It was my first Grady Hendrix book that I read. And then I read Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires after that, which I was a little disappointed by. And so going into my best friend's exorcism, It's definitely not something that I go for typically. I don't go for the paranormal exorcism. I don't even watch paranormal movies because I'm just like, it just, I just don't connect with it as much as I would like to. And so I was a little worried about how I would like this book, but I read it so that I could watch the movie. And like you, I love the 80s. I love the culture and I love the references that he made. And Grady Hendrix even though I'm not a big supernatural paranormal reader, he has such a way of writing in his books. Yes, he's all Mm -hmm. over the place, but his writing is so authentic and so descriptive. And he has such a, he does very well at creating that creepy atmosphere, no matter what the book is. Yeah. And so I just know, even if I don't like the story itself, I'm going to have those moments of actually feeling that eeriness. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. And so so those were your initial thoughts on the book. What were your expectations for the movie? Well, I like to not set expectations as much as possible mm-hmm. because if I do, they're usually too high and then I'm just disappointed. That being said, I was really hoping that Abby and Gretchen's friendship would be just as apparent in the film as it was in the book. That's what made me fall in love with the story. And I think I was more curious, like how they were going to pull off certain scenes, like the worm scene, for example. And I was also just like really hoping to see them at the roller rink for Abby's like Mm E.T. birthday party. (laughs) Yeah, I there were certainly moments that I hoped to see. I think the worm scene uh, in the book was those were one of those scenes where if you think about it, you're like, there's no way that that could creep me out. It's, you know, it's whatever, but the description of it, and it's kind of just so absurd that it's creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, so you were wanting to see the ET birthday party and the, uh, the worm. I was really wanting to see the initial scene that the book not necessarily opens up with but when you see them as teenagers whether at the lake house and seeing that friendship i wanted to see that because the description of gretchen floating down the the lake and just disappearing i was like how how does that happen yeah (laughs) and and i think just the thought of it of like having eyes set on someone for a moment and then all of a sudden they just disappear and trying to find them that scene creeped me out a little bit and her getting lost in that house. 
And so I was interested in seeing how they pulled that off. But watching the trailer, I could already pinpoint certain parts that were a little bit different from the book. Yeah. Did you end up liking the movie? And did it meet those certain expectations or those certain scenes that you wanted to see and that you, you know, loved so much? So did I like the movie? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, it wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen, but it definitely did not meet my non-expectations that I kind of sort of had in the back of my head. I mean, as far as the friendship and some of the key scenes between Abby and Gretchen that highlighted their friendship, it just wasn't there. Um, I also feel like mm -hmm. their inside jokes didn't have an impact because we didn't get to experience that with them in the film. Um, I felt like the film was recognizable. If you've read the book and you just happened, you didn't know what yeah. was on the TV, but then all of a sudden it was playing, you would know that it was, you know, my best friend's exorcism. Mm -hmm. But I think that they just ultimately either cut out um, a lot of important things or left them out. And um, it didn't have the same effect that the book did. And I'm going to harp on this a lot. The friendship is what I loved about the story. And I feel like the very beginning scene with the roller rink and the E.T. birthday party and Gretchen being the only one that shows up for her birthday party, that's what formed their friendship. And then, of course, at the end of the book, that also, like, seeing how long they were friends and all of that, like, yeah. that was what made this friendship so strong. And I just feel like the book kind of skipped over that. And it's, I, I say it's been a while since I've read the book, but it was just this past summer that I read the book, but I've read so many books in between <laughs> there that I kind of forgot like how much the four girls were in the story. And I felt like they were in the whole entire movie. And I was like, well, that's not how the book was. We had those just Abby and Gretchen moments. And I feel like the book did not highlight that. Yeah, I completely agree. I felt like their friendship was diluted. And now I can understand having to pick those certain influential parts of the book because you only have a certain amount of time. But I think that this movie would have worked so much better as maybe like a narration from Abby because that's how I read the book. The book, I mean, of course, it's narrated by Abby, but it was so personal the way that Grady depicted Abby's narration. It felt like she was talking right to you, telling you this story. And so I felt like the, the movie would have worked a little bit better maybe and felt a little bit more personal had Abby kind of narrated it like a, like a story time kind of thing. And maybe that's just me, but it would have made it so much easier to input those scenes, those friendship scenes. Yeah. Because starting it off, starting it off the way they did saying, Oh, I can't believe you're moving away this summer. It's like, okay, well you're already setting it up for it to end the way it's mm -hmm. going to end. So it kind of just feels like a, get easy route out, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people were saying um, similar things to your saying, like the diluted friendship um, and about how they really wanted more of like, it's almost like Abby was sitting down with the reader saying, listen to this great friendship that I had, like telling you the story, like yes. you said. And they thought that even if the scene didn't play out, like the roller rink scene and other scenes didn't play out, they could have been like flashbacks or a little like inserts or like, remember that yeah. time we did this and then showed a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely one of the, the reasons why I felt like this movie just lacked a little bit. Um, and I also noticed a few different things that didn't narratively match up to the book. Like 
and like how you were saying, it hasn't really been a while since I've read it, but we read a lot of books. So, mm-hmm. so we were constantly in different universes, meeting different characters. But the lake scene, I don't remember Wallace, Margaret's boyfriend, being there with them. Yeah, I didn't remember that either. I think my friend was like, no, he was. But I don't think he was such... I think he was there in the very beginning, but then when they, now I could be totally wrong. (laughs) So you have to read the book for yourself, you guys. Mm -hmm. But I believe that he was like there at the very beginning. And then when they went the skinny dipping route, you know, they were there by themselves. And then that's when, you know, Gretchen like got us, got swept away and she went to the building by herself. So it was really interesting that it was like Mm -hmm. Abby and Gretchen in the movie going to the building and all of that. I was like, what? No, this is not how that happened. Yeah. Yeah, And I also just feel like the skinny dipping scene was very weird in the, in the book. It wasn't, but having Wallace there was weird because it was awkward. Like, (laughs) This is her boyfriend, but he's skinny dipping with her friends. It was very uncomfortable to watch. It was very uncomfortable. And he was just such not a fun character. (laughs) Yeah. And the book depicted him that way. But I also Mm -hmm. wanted to see more of that hatred that Gretchen had for him. Because the book really pushed the fact that they didn't like him at all. But Gretchen had this negative feeling towards him Mm -hmm. and she she, you know in the in the movie she said it a few times like the one scene where they're sitting at the lunch table and um she ends up throwing up on him like you know that scene there were a few other times where she made you know yes oh my gosh I didn't know if it was ever gonna end it just kept coming and coming and coming but I'm glad I'm glad she did it even if she didn't mean to he deserved it so then what other narrative points from the movie did you feel didn't match up to the book. I feel like the biggest thing that didn't match up is that a lot of the scenes were shortened. Like you said, just like her not showing how much she disliked him. Um, Can I think of anything in particular? Probably not. It, It just, it felt like even like the whole Lemon Brothers thing, how that felt it felt longer in the book than it did in the movie. The whole where she started giving her the milkshakes to help her lose weight and yes. how in the book it was like tracking her calories and what she was eating. Like that was like such a major part of the book. Like it felt like it went on for chapters and chapters and chapters. And then in the movie, it was just like she gave her the shake. And then you have the locker room scene where she's like not looking so hot. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, she's in her bedroom and it's over, you know, like you're figuring out what happened. And I'm like, no, in the book, it was like, you're seeing her slowly lose weight. You're seeing her lose like her sense of self. um, Like you do if you do some some crazy diet like this. (laughs) And I wonder if they cut that though, because that's just like really obviously unhealthy and they don't want to like portray dieting in that way or I don't know why it was cut but I do think that like a lot of key moments were just reduced Mm -hmm. and when I was watching the movie I had that exact that exact same thought and how in Mean Girls which this movie it relates to Mean Girls in one way or the other just believe me but um, in Mean Girls, when I think it's um, Katie and, oh my God, Janice, and they're, you know, doing that whole like war on the war on the Mean Girls or whatever, and they're playing one way or the other. And 
they're doing all this different stuff, like cutting holes in their shirts and giving them those diet bars and everything like that. Mm-hmm. That would have worked perfectly to show all of these different ways that Gretchen in my best friend's exorcism is slowly ruining her friend's lives. Yes. One other, one other, particularly that part of the narrative that I noticed was different. Glee was the one who liked Brother Morgan, not mm-hmm. Abby. Right. That completely threw me off. And I was actually kind of upset that that change was made because it almost feels like an unnecessary change at that. Exactly. I completely agree. Unnecessary change. But can we just talk about how cute Glee was in this film? I loved her fashion. I loved her earrings. She was just the cutest. (laughs) And they also made her into be... I don't know if she was fully lesbian. I don't know where exactly her sexuality was, um, but they added that to the story, which I think in the book, there were a lot of themes going around, but um, like homophobia wasn't one of those. Right. However, in this, in this movie, it suddenly became a theme, which I thought was kind of a cool change to make. Yeah. I did like that. They added it. But it also didn't make sense because if Glee was into the faster, mm-hmm. like it just didn't, it didn't fit. But and yeah, because then it was used for Gretchen to turn Glee against Margaret. But it's just like it. I don't know. It just felt like such a change that wasn't needed because the original narrative would have mm-hmm. worked so much better. I I was upset that the even if they changed. Glee liking Brother Morgan to Abby liking Brother Morgan, the whole part of the narrative where like Glee's photos get shared around to school and then Brother Morgan loses mm-hmm. his job. How, how do you feel about that not being a part of the movie? I guess it just changed like that part. Like now that I'm like looking back at that particular, like that change, like Glee's character and what was going on with that. It wouldn't have made sense. It also goes back to what you said about the Mean Girls thing, how it kind of, they shortened all of the mean things that Gretchen was doing to each of them. Like how Mm. she was talking about Abby's face and uh, how she like did the dunk tank thing with her and what she was doing to Glee and what she did. Like everything was shortened or changed. So it kind of just gets like scrabbled in your head. Like what's the book? What's the movie? What happened? Mm-hmm. what happened where so I don't know why they made the changes I wish I could sit down with Grady Hendrix and be like <laughs> why were these changes made but yeah I 100%. think you know anytime there's a anytime there's a book to movie adaptation I think that there's a couple of reasons that they even do book to movie adaptations in the first place the first reason obviously is like people love the book and they want more mm-hmm. and the author and you know the powers that be are like why not make more money off of this? And the second reason is, is to kind of like bring in a new audience for the book. So they're like, if we make a movie and we have these things and we modernize it, we put in the LGBT themes and stuff like that. Um, And it seemed a little bit, it was in the book, like the language and the crudeness and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. It was in the book, but it just felt like more in the movie Um, because it was like such a shorter movie obviously than it was a book so it just felt like more like 
modernized, if that's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. So maybe they're hoping like people will watch the movie and then they'll be interested in picking up the book. Yeah, I do like the point that you made about bringing in a new audience. I do think as well to expect that the movie is going to be just like the book. It limits the director and um, the screenwriter into what they're able to Mm -hmm. do, because I think you should still allow those people to exhibit their craft. And so I wasn't expecting this movie to be 100% like the book, but I think there's also ways that you can still achieve everything that you want while being true to those parts of the book. And so for this, I definitely, I I would say I was disappointed with those and just the depictions of, of certain characters themselves, which I, in the beginning, right off the bat, I noticed um, how they brought out the Ouija board at the cabin. And of course, like I said, I don't really remember the, you know, the specific details, but I didn't remember that being a part of the book. So it's just, you, you see these little ways in which they're trying to tie the story together to make sense. Having Gretchen just randomly be possessed with no like leading backstory or anything. It's, you know, it wouldn't end up making sense or it would just kind of seem like, like a plot driver. So they, you know, then they added the Ouija board, but I think not knowing how it happened or not knowing why it happened makes it even scarier. I think so too. We were just talking about Glee. So do you feel like the casting matched the characters' descriptions or how you pictured them in your head? Yeah, I actually think that they did a really good um, job with the casting. I loved who played the individual characters. Um, I thought that Gretchen in particular, I'm not good with Mm -hmm. actors and actresses' names. So I'm just going to go with their names in the book, movie. But I thought that Gretchen did a really good job of being like a possessed teen without making it like super cheesy, you know, (laughs) like not over the top, just how she was like sullen and she would like hang her head. And then when she, um, cause she, she was like her normal self. And then she was like possessed. But then when she had that kind of like reawakening where she came back, I was like, wow, she is so pretty. (laughs) That, that part actually reminded me when I was watching it, I love Jennifer's body. And when I was reading the book, I didn't really make that connection. But watching this movie, I felt like there were maybe inspirations from Jennifer's body because you have Jennifer gets she gets possessed and she's like, I don't want to say ugly, but when she originally gets possessed, she's just like distraught. She has blood all over her face. She literally looks like a monster. Then the next day she shows up and she's hot and she's kind of misconstruing everyone's lives and making them a mess. It's very, very similar to Gretchen. And so I thought this is inspiration from that movie. I 100% imagine Glee to look the way that she exactly did. Gretchen, same way, but Abby, I didn't. Because I in the book, they explain that Abby has long hair. Though it might be frizzy, it's long and you know of course like her her issues with her face and everything like that so then when she had the short hair in the movie 
kind of threw me for a loop. Of course, it's such a small detail, so it's not something that completely just made me disown the movie <laughs> altogether. Right. I wonder if they made her hair short to add to the contrast between her and Gretchen physically. Yeah. Because Gretchen is supposed to be the quote-unquote pretty friend, while Abby is supposed to be the, though I hate this word, the quote-unquote duff. Yeah. So I wonder if that's why they made her hair short, was to kind of add to that idea that she is this, the least attractive friend right. of the group. right. Yeah, I didn't, I forgot that her hair was long and frizzy, even though like my hair is long and frizzy sometimes. But I just I really liked that she had like a lot of facial blemishes. And I know that sounds terrible to wish that on someone. But if they didn't have that, I was going to be so distraught because that is one thing that they talked about in the book several times and how she would like use her makeup to kind of cover it up. And I thought they did a really good job of making her face look severely broken out. Um, mm-hmm. And also like the makeup that she put on just looked like really caked on and really like her eyeshadow was so dark. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I whenever because in the in the book, you know, she gets her skin to clear up a little bit somewhat not perfect, but it's still um, manageable. And then whenever Gretchen starts to act out, starts to mess up people's lives and she, Abby gets just kind of swirled into it all then her face really starts to break out badly i did wish to see that a little bit it didn't really touch on it too much there was one part where she was talking to glee and she was telling glee how she felt like wallace had sexually assaulted gretchen and that's when margaret was in the room and margaret was like oh you're lying and that's that was the end of their friendship um and so you see her when she's talking to them you see her picking at her skin but it really doesn't show how she's being physically and mentally affected by everything going on. And of course, books are going to be more descriptive. You're going to literally see into the mind of the characters you're reading about. But I think cinematically, there are ways to show that without explicitly saying, her face is breaking out more because she's stressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I did, I thought that the her makeup particularly was really, really good. And the actress, her first name's Elsie. I don't remember her last name. But she was actually in a movie, a Bo Burnham movie called Eighth Grade, where she played an eighth grader who had a YouTube channel. And she did absolutely amazing in that movie. I saw it when I was still in high school. And I just remember her depiction of this eighth grader and like transitioning from eighth grade to freshman year of high school made me cringe, but in the best way possible, because you just kind of, you get kind of thrown back into when you were in middle school. And because I, me being in middle school was, you know, peak of YouTube, peak of those YouTube influencers and everybody trying to, trying to do some sort of YouTube channel. And also just kind of feeling like an outcast at that. Like you're so outgoing and you're so friendly to everyone, but yet you do things that make other people cringe or you're embarrassing and stuff like that. And so she did She did absolutely amazing in that movie, <laughs> to say the least. And so seeing her in this movie was one, a little bit of a contrast from that, but two, I think that I could see a little bit of that character in this movie as well. 
I went on a little bit of a tangent. Sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. I love it. I actually heard people talk about that movie as well. And it makes me want to like search it out and watch it. So yes, you should definitely watch it. There are, it's just the emotions that it makes you feel are crazy. And Bo Burnham, um, is actually very talented. He's done a few movies, but that was one that was like in in theaters for the first time ever. And, you know, he's done the, the Netflix special, like when he was in quarantine and stuff, which is what he's really known for. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend you watch that movie. She was also in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the most recent one. I would not oh. recommend that one. Not <laughs> I would recommend not. that, okay. <laughs> no. Um, but she also kind of plays the same character in Texas Chainsaw as she does in My Best Friend's Exorcism. But I think she does well at, she finds ways to blend them together, but also make them different too. Um, and, you know, as an actor, I think that that's helpful. You don't want to be typecasted. So I think her using past roles to enhance, you know, her newer roles, is very, very smart. Let's talk about themes because themes are my favorite thing. I absolutely love dissecting movies and books and figuring out those repetitive images and those repetitive sayings and everything. So let's first start with the book. Did you notice any particular themes when you were reading the book? Obviously, (laughs) back to the friendship. Um, I liked how it really depicted Abby as being like, I don't want to say less mature, but a little bit more sentimental about her childhood. Whereas like, I felt like her peers were excited to grow up and be with boys and, and she just wanted to be her same person and she didn't really care what anybody thought. It was just her and Gretchen. So, and just them being in high school, obviously you have like your insecurities, you know, for her in particular, her skin. Um, And then also just the power struggles. Like we said, lots of mean girl vibes in this. Obviously the 80s. I mean, that's like a huge theme, (laughs) like the music and the clothing and like all of the quizzes that they would take or whatever. Just kind of like girls being girls, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like backstabbing and jealousy and egos and how high school can like really change people outside of <laughs> demonic possessions mm-hmm. um, and how we're like growing into our body and our hormones and all of that. Now, friendship was a very, very large theme in the book, but I think because it was so large, it for me, I, it just played in the background as odd as that, as as that sounds, (laughs) but for the movie, I definitely saw that, um, friendship theme a lot more because in the dialogue, they would say certain things, um, like their best friend quizzes that they would take and they would like, you know, they were saying, cause all of the questions in the best friend quiz were, if your best friend gets a boyfriend, what do you do? your best friend goes out on a date with a boy instead of you what do you do and they're all just like why do these all have to do with boys (laughs) because of that commentary there you could see just this emphasis on friendship and the importance of sticking together and not letting outside factors um dictate how strong your friendship is in the book specifically um 
the themes that I noticed, the biggest theme, I think the 80s did a really good job of playing more in the foreground. Now, it wasn't just this is set in the 80s, but the 80s culture, the 80s, the mindsets that were in the 80s. Um, You had the satanic panic going on in the 80s. And because for whatever reason, adults just love to think that teenagers are the worst. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. I was like, that's so how it really was. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think the satanic panic, because uh, you had more rock, particularly metal coming out at that time, that played a large role into it. And teenagers were most susceptible to that kind of pop culture because it was so much different than what you were used to. It's, it's not boring. It's, it's fun and it's loud and it's rambunctious the same way that teenagers are. And so you saw a lot of fear when it came to adults viewing teenagers in the, at least in my version that I had of the book, you saw different graphics of pamphlets and of course there's always these informational pamphlets and so one of the graphics was a self-help sheet guiding parents on how to talk to their teens but the tone that that graphic or the pamphlet took was a very accusatory tone referring to teenagers you know it was saying how um if they're acting this way it's because they're doing this wrong thing it's and it's just infiltrating the mind of parents thinking that their teens are doing something way worse than they actually are. And I think because their view of their teenagers began to become skewed, then they were less likely to see all of the mental health problems that their kids were truly having. A perfect example of that is that when Gretchen, or no, when Abby thinks that Gretchen has been sexually assaulted and she goes to like her mom initially, and then she goes to like the principal of the school or whatever. And she mentions that they were doing drugs, but that she thinks that Gretchen was raped. And they're like, oh, you guys did drugs? And it's like, okay, what about the other thing? Yeah. 100%. And even Gretchen's father, the way that he reacts when Abby says it, he sees it almost like an offense to his character and to his name. And I didn't write down the particular thing that he said in reference to that, but I did write down, he said, you repeat these vile allegations to anyone, then I will not hesitate to call the police and have you arrested for drugs. First of all, you're overlooking the most important thing of this conversation. But, you know, he was, he was like, these are very serious, very harmful allegations, and I will not have my family dragged through the right for it or something, you know, something of the sort. And it was, I was baffled when I read that. Mm-hmm. I really think that the 80s was all about how other people look at you. It wasn't really about like protecting yourself or protecting your family. It's like, I don't really care what happens as long as we look good Mm -hmm. and I think that's why her dad got so upset yeah and I think they also in the movie they did a really good job of showing this but where they missed the mark was showing the way the dad reacts in the book he reacts a lot more not physically violent but just like vocally emotionally violent Mm -hmm. um in terms of seeing it as 
an offense and he gets defensive. And in the movie, he just kind of sees how upset his wife is over the fact that they did drugs. And he's like, I think you need to leave. And that's where that scene ends. It's not when it's, it's not until the headmistress is being told all of this. And she's, she's saying these baseless and vile um, accusations that you're making will get you kicked out. Yeah. And I think instead of such a large emphasis on rape culture in the movie that was in the book, you see a lot more religious context in the movie where that rape culture was. Right. And so you, you hear a lot in the movie about, um, I think even in that scene where Abby is at the is with the headmistress talking about Gretchen, and she's like, "These are vile and baseless allegations towards her maidenhood." First of all, who says that? <laughs> who calls it maidenhood anymore? <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, and you know, even in the one scene where they're in class, this was this was a scene in the book and also in the movie where they're talking about the quote unquote rape juice and how that conversation is much more aimed towards the girls of the class and saying, don't drink this because yes. this can happen to you. And I even more baffled. I know. <laughs> yeah, that was just so like we were cra- when we were doing the watch party, we were cracking up <laughs> so hard at that part. And then how it was brought back in the end. It was just like, what in the world? <laughs> Yeah, it was used to, to defeat the demon, um, yeah. which we could even go into what that, what does that truly mean? But we, we won't. Yeah. And in the book, you had, I think, both the, the gym teacher and the headmistress talking about it, whereas in the movie, it's only the headmistress. But in the book where the gym teacher is talking, he's depicted as being truly nervous, which even reminded me of Mean Girls again, because when the gym teacher is giving them sex education and he's just very uncomfortable and doesn't know the right (laughs) words to say. So whenever he's talking to the class, he says, sometimes it only takes one mistake to ruin what cannot be repaired, be it your reputation, your family's good name, or your most valuable gift. That's another way that I feel like, of course, I wasn't raised in the 80s, but I do know that mindsets on certain things that we deem more serious or um, more acceptable now were completely different then. And this is just one example. Yeah, again, back to that family good name. (laughs) Don't mar the family's good name. (laughs) Of course, they saw teen sexuality as bad in this movie, but it was also demonized. I don't think that very healthy conversations regarding it took place at all. And so even when um, Gretchen's parents heard noises in her room in the book and they thought that they were, quote unquote, sex noises where she, when she was really getting possessed. Yeah. <laughs> she just had a demon just like taking over her body. But they took her to the doctor against her will to get her checked out. Yeah. And in the book, when Gretchen was recalling that and telling Abby about her experience, I... I felt so distraught and I like, I felt so bad for Gretchen because she didn't want to go. She knew exactly, she knew she didn't need to go because she knows what happens to her, but she's not telling her parents, but also if she told her parents, 
her parents wouldn't believe her because they think teens lie and they think teens are are evil and and these villains that they really aren't yeah i think that just goes back way in history just women in general were never um we're just never trusted that we like know ourselves and know our bodies and that's like I said, it goes far, far, far back in history where women were taken out of homes mm-hmm. because of depression or postpartum and put in asylums and all of that. Yeah. And in the book, I don't recall it ever being like necessarily talked about in the movie, but in the book, they even talk about, um, there's a quote, it says, our parents don't actually care what happens to us unless it makes them look bad. And then they send us to Southern Pines to get reprogrammed. First of all, the <laughs> word reprogrammed, perfect. Ugh. No, we don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like it, but I think that <laughs> it was a really good word to use in that sentence yeah. because yeah. it just kind of shows, which this is completely off topic, but like, don't worry, darling. Reprogrammed. Yes perfect perfect use and that's exactly what this book is talking about and you know kind of just goes back to what you were saying about women historically in horror movies in general women are never listened to i was listening to a podcast on this particularly about how women are just not listened to in horror movies and then people end up dying and then what do we learn maybe you should listen to women Exactly. Yeah, it definitely that word definitely did elicit the emotions that it wanted to elicit. So good choice there. But yes, <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> the The book particularly depicted both rape culture and diet culture very well. Because reading the book, I don't think it's promoting it at all. It's actually horrifying. Just the, the pressures that particularly women felt to be skinny, be pretty. And Margaret, right. Margaret would constantly make comments just about how like she wants to be skinny for Wallace, not for herself. She doesn't want to feel healthy. She wants to be skinny for her boyfriend, a man. Yes. First of all, yes. never. <laughs> never. <laughs> and, but that's, that's also one thing how you were talking about, um, it was kind of shortened. And so you don't really see you don't see that because I think those details are what makes her dieting habits so horrific or so mm-hmm. saddening. And you don't really feel bad for her. I, this is going to sound terrible, but you don't really feel bad for her until you see her in bed and see how these diet sheets have really just messed with her. Yeah, in the book, it was definitely explained a lot more and it was like a longer portion of the story. So in my copy, I actually have the paperback edition that looks like Mm -hmm. the VHS tape. And in mine, it has um, little pictures of scrap pieces of paper. And on the pieces of paper, it tells exactly how much she ate. Um, So it would be like this many, you know, pieces of celery, this many slices of apples and this many, I had this many shakes and it goes on for chapters after chapters. And you can see how the food decreases and the milkshakes increase. And um, yeah, so diet culture is another really big theme of the book for sure more so than the movie it's just like kind of like I felt like in the movie it was just um one of the mean things mm-hmm. that 
you know, Gretchen did when she was possessed rather than it being like a theme of the movie. So we've been talking about um, all of these different differences that we notice between the book and the movie. Now let's talk about what we liked and what we didn't like. And uh, I will let you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I loved the fashion. I loved the music. Um, I'm a big fan of the 80s in general, so I almost wanted more music since every chapter in the book was a different 80s song title. Um, I also really liked some of the one-liners that they said. They would just like make me laugh, so I liked that it kept the humor going because in the books that I've read from Grady Hendrix, like his humor is pretty apparent, so I'm glad that it was humorous. And like I said, the movie watch experience with watching other people my friends are just really funny. So when it was hap- it was like making me laugh in the movie. They were making me laugh. Um, the Lemon <laughs> Brothers were just like so over the top. Just oh like goodness. I pictured them from the book. So they were just like how I imagined them to be. And I loved that about it. The film tells us that like Abby and Gretchen have been lifelong best friends Um, But there's no sense of like history or chemistry between the pair in the movie. So that's what I thought was lacking. And Mm -hmm. I think that it has some like rough visuals as well that kind of cut down on the iconic movie moments or novel moments for in the movie. And okay, the golem scene, the golem demon, whatever. That emerged after the exorcism. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not a fan. (laughs) 10 out of 10. Do not recommend. Absolutely not. That was just, I do not understand. Now that's where our little uh, rape juice comes back in. Like, what the heck were she like? take some and like I knew that's what was gonna happen. Like as soon as I saw that bottle, I was like, okay, we know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why (laughs) they felt like they had to personify the demon that was in her. Um, That was a a little too cheesy (laughs) for me. I'll start with my dislikes because that's one of the things that I disliked about it. I, it was just not needed. Now the ending of the book is a lot longer. You get the flash forward and all of that, which was a great ending to that book. But with the book, now y'all might not like me for this, but with the book, I kind of wanted Gretchen to die. I felt <laughs> like, <laughs> I felt like, cause okay, when I was taking a creative writing class in college, my writing teacher would always tell us, kill your darlings, right? And so our darling for this story is Gretchen and Abby's friendship. Mm-hmm. but you see how codependent they are to each other and you mm-hmm. see how not necessarily toxic their friendship can be but you see how they can be individuals away from each other particularly Abby and so to kill Gretchen would have meant a lot of character development for Abby and so of course it's not what everybody wants but I would have been 100% okay had Gretchen died. I think that the personify the personification of the demon was just so outlandish 
I didn't, I don't, I don't even, words not <laughs> explain the feeling that I got when I watched it. I remember me and my mom were watching it together and I remember seeing it and I was like, I know you're lying. <laughs> I know that they did not just do this, which I think that was their way of trying to flip the narrative of the rape juice can get women in trouble because yeah. when Abby, a woman uses the quote unquote rape juice to kill the demon, it's like, well, symbolically sure, <laughs> it works, but visually I just right. didn't need it for my personal yeah. opinion. <laughs> I, I really did like the Easter eggs in this movie though. I think there were a lot of Easter eggs. Well, not a lot, but notably some. Uh, for for example, the acid tabs that they took at the cabin had owls on them. And so then you see the owls periodically throughout the movie following the girls around town wherever they're going. And even at the end, there's an owl in the tree whenever Gretchen and Abby part ways and the owl is you know kind of like watching them and then the song somebody's watching somebody's watching Mm me they play it at the cabin and this movie perfectly sums up the entirety of the movie you know Gretchen says I can't take off my clothes I can't shower I can't do this I can feel him watching me all the time but then you also have the owl yeah. constantly watching them too. So I feel like that song was perfect. And it was so subtle. Like it, it was there, you knew it was playing, but you didn't recognize just how much it had to yeah. do with the story at hand. And, you know, there were some really good visuals as well. When they pulled out the Ouija board, they thought that the Ouija board was spelling out men, M-I-N. But then the, uh, I think it's called a plant, a planchet, uh-huh. blanket something like that, the the hand thing that you use on the Ouija board, in the yeah. little circular spot in the middle, there was an E, and Andres says mine, literally, all, that's the only word he knows how to say, and so he just says mine all the time, and so that's kind of a foreshadow moment of, of the, the demon himself. Um, I, I also, I didn't like the, the scene about the rape juice. I felt like that was a very influential scene in the book and could have been influential in the movie. And it was shortened as pretty much everything else. But I think because we've read the book and because we were going into this movie with that with that love and admiration for the book itself, it's easy to pinpoint all of these mm-hmm. different things. For someone who's watching the movie not knowing about the book, they can enjoy it. Like, you know, I was watching with my mom and she was like, I think they did an amazing job at emulating the 80s. And she was like, she actually mentioned how their school uniforms were, was her exact school uniform when she was in high school, which is insane. That is crazy. <laughs> she was like, I'm getting, I'm getting major flashbacks <laughs> right now. And so I think watching that with her, her not knowing you know, about the book, but enjoying the movie as it was, I think it's an enjoyable experience in general. It's a great horror comedy um, if it were to stand alone from the book. Okay. One thing I did want to say, like, in response to your, you know, Gretchen could have died thing. I'm glad she did not die. I will say because I really (laughs) did love the friendship story, obviously. 
But I think if she did die, then that would show that like friendship doesn't solve all of your problems because they were kind of, you know, codependent on one another. So I think either way, I would have been fine. <laughs> that Yes, I definitely agree. So now that we've covered everything and we've talked about our likes, our dislikes, all the nitty gritty, what was your official rating of the book? I rated the book five out of five stars, which is the highest rating I give a book. Um, I loved it. And it's funny because like I said at the very beginning, I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. I don't read much YA anymore. Um, and I'm still fairly new to the horror genre. I only really started like reading it more in the last few years, like maybe the last two, two and a half years. Um, so I wasn't really sure, but I do trust Grady Hendrix. Um, so I took a chance and I ended up loving it specifically because of how it ended. That emotion hit me hard and I love friendship stories. Yeah, I believe I rated this a five out of five stars on Goodreads too. It took me by surprise 100% because just, you know, the paranormal aspect, I wasn't really thinking I would 100% love it, but it did what Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires couldn't do for me. And so I absolutely loved it. I love, of course, the 80s. And Grady Hendrix always does those little graphics in his books, which I I love those visual, the visual aspect to it because I'm such a visual person. So I love seeing exactly what he's describing. And even I had the ebook version. And so in the ebook version, he actually had a Spotify playlist linked. So you could click it and listen to all of the songs that were, you know, the chapters of the book. Oh, that's so fun. Absolutely love that. I created my own playlist because yeah. I did not have that. And I love 80s music. <laughs> I, like I said, I love the 80s. So if it's set in the 80s, a book or a movie, I'm probably going to watch it. Some of my favorite movies are 80s movies. <laughs> and I was just like looking for the playlist and I was like, I guess I'm creating this myself. <laughs> Listen, if, if somebody's not going to do it, I will get it done. First things first. Mm -hmm. um, and so what about the movie? What is your official rating? Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to rate the movie two stars. I don't really usually mm -hmm. rate movies, um, but it just wasn't what I wanted it to be. Like I thought some of, lots of the scenes were shortened for time, I'm sure. Um and then I didn't get the friendship vibes and, and the beginning and the ending were different. One thing yeah. I did forget to touch on was I did like, I like in movies in general where they do like, what did this person do after this movie? Like they started yeah. this company or they went to school here. I did love that. Do I agree with all the things that they did? I don't really care. I just like that it had that because I like when movies do that in general. But um, yeah, the movie, I do like that it was, it stayed true to comedy horror, but I just thought it was like a little too cheesy. Yeah, I, I liked that part of the ending for the movie as well. It kind of resembles how they were looking at the yearbook and they were saying, hmm, what do we think? this person's going to be doing. And even in the book, when, you know, it flashed forward and Abby was going around her town and kind of, you know, pointing out different people that she saw and stuff like that, it would kind of stay true in that element. Um, but I do love seeing those flash forwards because 
you know, I just want to, I just want to know. I'm just so nosy of a person, but it, it definitely, the narrative was so skewed that it could stand to be its own movie, which is odd to say, but I do love to feel like I'm seeing the book playing out in front of me. And I just didn't get that feeling. I think I haven't rated it on Letterboxd yet, but I do think that I would probably rate it a two and a half stars out of five because I'm just too generous of a watcher. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice though. (laughs) It is, it is. Um, But, and you know, even though I'm generous, you can still trust my reviews and my ratings, but it, it definitely fell short in, in some places, which was so upsetting. Now, I did want to ask you, before we wrap up here, the Southern Book Club Guide Slaying Vampires is coming out with a series. It was picked up by Amazon. They haven't casted anyone yet, but once it does have a, a release date and a cast and everything, will we be seeing a talk bookish watch party? Absolutely. I would love to do that and host another like watch party. Um, I'm excited that it's going to be like a limited like TV series mm-hmm. kind of um, rather than just a movie. I'm very interested. The changes, there are definitely some things in that one that I'm hoping that they change. Um, I still really loved that book. I rated that one four stars just as a, you know, (laughs) forewarning Mm -hmm. of that. But, uh, but there was definitely some things I wanted to change. That was the first Grady Hendrix book that I ever read. And I actually read that book in a day. So it's a chunky book. So, but yeah, I would absolutely love that so much to do another watch party. And you're definitely invited, of course. (laughs) Of course, yay. <laughs> Alrighty then. So where can we find your Goodreads reviews at? Okay, so I'm on Instagram at Talkbookish Podcast and Lavender Mud. So I actually have two Instagrams. And in that I link to my other social medias. So you can definitely find that there. But if you also search my name, Gwendolyn Kensinger, you can find me on Goodreads, you can find me on the Storygraph, you can find me on YouTube. And I occasionally do post book reviews on like my Instagram platform as well. Perfect. And of course, I'll be posting all about this collaboration that we've had today. So you can um, find her social medias through there. Now, if you don't know already, why? But in the case that you don't know my social medias, you can find me on Instagram at the Unbound Cinefem Pod. I have a Twitter, which is the Unbound Cinefem. And my Goodreads is AVCOF. Now, thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Quinn, for deciding to come on my podcast and having such a great discussion. This was so much fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was an absolute blast. I look forward to the next collaboration opportunity. Of course. All right, you all. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And I'll catch you next episode.